Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Oh, <laughs> thank you guys. Wow. If I can't preach after an introduction like that, I should just get off the stage, man. Oh, congratulations. Can we give the Lord a hand? Five years. Come on. Jesus, you are faithful. Woo. Look at this, man. Mission Church. I got, my, I got my five-year bracelet on. Get you some of that right there. Really incredible what the Lord has done. And, and I'm actually moved today to see what God has done in five years. So uh, I was a church planner. I work with a group called ARC. We plant churches around the nation. We have a network of churches now through the Father's House. So I, I get to travel a lot, see a lot of leaders, see a lot of churches, church plants, struggling churches, big churches. I just want you guys to recognize that what God is doing right here in this room, right here at Mission Church, Mission Church is very rare. This is not normal, okay? Uh, the gathering, the anointing, the growth, the momentum, the presence of Jesus. And one of the main reasons, obviously, the grace of God, and he loves East Bay. Jesus loves Walnut Creek and Concord. Yes, amen? He even loves Martinez. Okay, I used to live there. I used to live there. And it's all good. So I moved from Martinez to Concord, and then I moved to Concord out to Clayton, out by the pavilion. And then I realized that there's these lines that people don't go past down. Anyway, I won't go there, but <laughs> he, he loves East Bay so much, and he loves the lost people that he sent you guys some very high caliber pastors. And uh, I would just like to honor um, Tyler and Rachel for all that they've done. It's no small feat of strength to plant a church and build what they built. Can you give some love and honor to pastors? Come on. Give it up. Give it up. Give it up. Show them some love. All right. Amazing leaders. So I want to talk to you today, uh, and I'm going to show you a video in in just a minute, a little disclaimer. Um, But I want to talk to you today about a move of God that's happening in the earth right now. Now, many of you are aware of what's happening at Asbury University back in Kentucky. It's still happening. It's spilling over to other universities. But unlike moves of God, and I'm an old guy, I've been tracking them for a long time, uh, um, unlike other outpourings of the Spirit, what God has started right now is going to move from state to state, church to church. There are hot spots. There are epicenters of revival. There are places throughout the earth right now that God is pouring out his spirit. And I'm not saying this to hype you, but I believe with all my heart, Pastor, that your church and this location and this community, God is wanting to use you as a place of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will make a significant impact, not just in Walnut Creek, but in your state. I want you to wrap your mind around this. What God is doing right now is at such a level that he's gathering in, I believe, a great ingathering of souls because we are in the last days. And that becomes obvious if you just look around for two minutes. But God is pouring out his spirit. And so I want to talk to you about having a cry of revival in your heart. You see, you can't mandate revival. You can't get like revival on demand. They're not streaming it in three clicks and you're in, right? You cannot manipulate a move of the Spirit. It says in John chapter 3 that the wind blows wherever it pleases. You, You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You hear the sound 
but you can't judge where, where it will land. And so it is with the Spirit of God resting on the hearts of men. So the Spirit is going to blow. But here's what we can do, church. We can position ourselves to be right in the middle of what God has. And he wants you there. It's not about a pastor on stage and an amazing worship team. And by the way, you have one. It's, it's not about stage ministry. It's about the body of Christ and everyone in the room, even those of you guys sitting all the way back there. I can't even see you, but I believe by faith you're here because I just see shadows way deep in the back. I'm going to be praying for the right space and place for you guys. There is a space and a place. In fact, I felt this prophetically in the first service. There's going to be multiple locations that God has his hand upon. And and he's going to reveal those to you. So anyway, back to revival. We want to position ourselves because historically... Biblical history, Old Testament, New Testament, and then extra biblical history of the church. Here's what you find. God pours out his spirit in places and spaces. He uses obscure places, people you wouldn't even imagine, and he does something that shapes and changes a nation. And so I want to show you our, our team. I've been studying revival for a couple years, and so a few months ago, our team put together a fairly lengthy video of revivals that have been happening since the 1700s, and I edited down just a few minutes uh, for today, so, so check this out. Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Throughout the recorded history of the church, God has poured out his spirit in various times and places, movements and spaces, God invading the normal routines of religion to ignite fresh fire in the hearts of his people. These visitations have been recorded as revivals, renewals, awakenings, movements, and even revolutions. When God awakens his church and breathes fresh wind on a generation, he most often uses unassuming people in obscure places. Like the Welsh revival of 1904, where God raised up a 25-year-old preacher by the name of Evan Roberts. Evan cried out to God for 100,000 souls, to which God replied, yes, 100,000 souls would be one to Christ. It was universal, inescapable, and a cloud of God's glory hung low over the nation for many months. The land was covered with a canopy of prayer, worship, and repentance that could not be escaped. This great awakening would transform the spiritual climate of Europe and then cross over the Atlantic, where revival consumed the hearts of the American people. And on April 9th, 1906, William J. Seymour and seven other men were waiting on God, when like a bolt of lightning, the Holy Spirit hit the meeting right where the men were praying, and they were knocked to the ground, speaking in tongues and shouting praises. People came from all over as news got out that God's power had been released on Bonnie Bray Street in downtown Los Angeles. The meetings were then moved to 312 Azusa Street as this outpouring of the Spirit would launch the modern-day Pentecostal movement. When Amy Simple McPherson was in her mid-20s, She had a vision to reach Los Angeles with the gospel and to build a place for God's glory right in the middle of the city. And on January 1st, 1923, she opened the 5,300-seat Angelus Temple. 
This unprecedented worship space would soon be packed to three services every weekend as healings, miracles, and people coming to Christ launched a movement. As over 40 million people have encountered the reality of Christ in this sacred space in the last century. In 1947, Billy Graham would usher in an era of bold proclamation of the gospel to the masses. And over the course of his ministry, 215 million people would fill stadiums around the world to hear him preach. And on the cross there is written in gigantic letters in neon fire, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is the love of God. And if you have any doubt concerning the love of God, look at the cross. In 1969, the nation was in a spiritual freefall. The summer of love with free love, free drugs, and no moral boundaries left a generation desperate, diseased, and hopeless. But at the same time, God was pouring out his spirit as a redeemed hippie named Lonnie Frisbee moved into the home of Pastor Chuck Smith in Costa Mesa, California, and the Jesus Revolution was born. We have heard about these moves and revolutions. We've heard the stories of visitation. We've even seen the fulfillment of prophetic words that one day stadiums would be filled to capacity with people coming together, not to see a performer or a sports team, but to worship Jesus. And yet, there's a promise of more, a cry in our hearts for what we have yet to see. Come on. All right. So God's moving again, and I want to be a part of it. How about you? When God is moving in the earth, there's just something in my heart that says, God, do not pass me by. I just want to speak into, uh, for a moment, as you guys invest in a building, and whatever God opens up, it'll be a faith stretch, it'll be a lot of money, it'll be stressful, there's a lot of things that happen, but realize that it's spiritual ground that you're taking. Buildings are not eternal, but what happens inside them is. And so you have to understand that God, you, you, obviously you guys need a facility, this place is packed to the rafters. But what I feel, you don't even have rafters. Do you have rafters? <laughs> what I sense is there, there's a harvest right now that you get to be a part of. Within a 15-minute drive of where you're sitting, there are hundreds of thousands of people that need desperately what you have. A church, a community, a place to worship, the presence of God, an eternal hope. They don't even know what they're missing, but God's going to use you to reveal Jesus and so you need a space and a place to house it. So never underestimate your investment. I was just uh, recently got to speak at Dream Center, Pastor Matthew Barnett and Caroline, they're buddies of mine, and, and uh, Angelus Temple, where they meet, just turned 100 years old. And they just did a massive remodel, and so I got to speak there. And, and as I was standing there, um, and I, I love speaking at the Dream Center and all the guys that are there and doing some time. And I love speaking about the forgiving, powerful, delivering grace of Jesus and inviting people to come uh, to Christ in that space. I, I, I go there a lot, but um, I had this revelation 
in that room, in the last hundred years, they've done the math, Pastor, over 40 million people have made a decision for Christ in Angelus Temple because a teenage girl then in her young 20s had a vision. And Amy Simple McPherson built, listen, built a 5,300-seat worship auditorium that there had never been a worship space built of that magnitude in the history of America. The average church in 1923 seated about 75 people. A lot of small brick Baptist churches throughout the South. That's what was going on. Not a lot of churches in California. Never underestimate what God can do with one person with a vision in their heart. And so if you're here today and you're 20 years old, 22 years old, uh, whatever age you are, don't underestimate when God drops a, a seed in your heart for something to do great for Him. When it's from Him and you water it with prayer and tears, and time, it will come to fruition. God will accomplish it. I'm just, I'm, this is not the message, but I feel like it's pretty good stuff <laughs> for somebody. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about how to position your life for revival, for renewal, for a move of the Holy Spirit. And again, we can't make it happen, but we can position our lives. I want to give you five things that you can apply to your life out of the book of Habakkuk. Some say Habakkuk, some say Habakkuk. Let me just tell you, we're all saying it wrong. I studied the Hebrew. The accurate pronunciation is Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I'd have you try that, but you get something on the person in front of you. So to say it right, you got to get a little something right in your throat, right? A little phlegm going. But Habakkuk, this guy, he's a no-name prophet. You never hear about him before his short little letter. You never hear about him afterwards. No other prophets, kings, or priests talk about him in the Bible. Don't know where he came from, where he went. You don't know if this guy was a farmer or a plumber, a local dude or a traveling preacher. He just shows up. And this unique prophetic letter of Habakkuk is unique in that he's not preaching at people. As most of the prophets did, they're shaking their finger at Israel saying, judgment's coming, repent, get ready, or restoration's coming. He didn't even talk to people. You know what he did? He had a conversation with God, and the Holy Spirit said, we're going to capture that conversation and put it in the canon of Scripture. Now, there's some observations by Habakkuk in about 600 BC that are so similar to California in 2023 that I want to read a couple of his observations and see if you can kind of check the box if this applies to culture as you know it. He said in his time, by the way, they were reaping as a nation what they'd been sowing to for several generations, which is where we are in America right now. But here's what he said. Violence is everywhere. Check. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, and justice has become perverted. Isaiah prophesied about a time and a people who would call right wrong and wrong right, who call darkness light and light darkness. And we are living in that season in our culture. Would you agree with me today? Whether you do or not, it's right. So just jump on board. So Habakkuk, he, he has this cry in his heart. and I, I, This is a prayer. It's going to come up on the screen. And if you would, I'd like us all to, to lift our voice and, and pray this out with me. Habakkuk 3, 2. You ready? Here we go. Lift it up. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. In a time of wrath, in a time where a nation deserved judgment for what they'd done for generations, there was someone standing up saying, God, remember your mercy. Never forget the power of one interceding saint. 
God says, I looked for a man when I'm ready to judge Israel. I'm just looking for one individual who will stand in the gap before me and cry out for mercy. See, there is a law that is higher than the law of sowing and reaping. It is the law of intercession. God says, there's a law. What you sow, you will reap. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Galatians 6, 9. But in the middle of the laws and sowing and reaping for a nation, God says this, if I can find a people that will cry out for mercy, what it will do, it will justify divine intervention. And I believe right now, what we are seeing in our nation at Asbury College and now other colleges and in churches and right now at the Father's house, what we are seeing is God's response to years of righteous people crying out saying, God, I know America deserves judgment. God, I I know we've turned against you, our culture, our politics, our morality. But God, in our day, in a day of wrath, would you remember mercy? Would you pour out your spirit? God responds to that. So let me give you five things for your life that you can do to position yourself for a move of God. Number one, you got to climb up. Everybody say, climb up. You got to gain some spiritual altitude. Habakkuk said this, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. Now, in modern era city construction, we don't really think about watchtowers as they did in antiquity. Now our watchtowers are more of a cyber nature, right? We got drones and radars and scanners and all the things that we protect ourselves with. But in ancient Israel and in ancient cities, in fact, this will come up on the screen, watchtowers were very common and they were built within the walls of a city. Other places, the watchtowers would be positioned along uh, bays and harbors and, and water uh, areas where they could look for, for boats attacking enemies. And whoever would climb up in the watchtower, their job was not to look right down below their feet at what they saw every day, the near, the common, the usual, the familiar. They were to look out for what was coming. In other words, it's a vantage point. It's a perspective where other people can only assume what you're seeing. There is a place in God where you can see what's coming. There is a watchtower lifestyle where you can see the evil and the good that's coming against your family, coming against your church, coming against your nation, but you got to climb up. And the way you climb up is you get low. The way you climb up is you clear out some space to meet with God in the secret place. You set that alarm clock a little earlier. You stay up a little later. And then you find a place without distraction. You see, we're all victims of white noise. White noise of culture. You know, white noise is in this room. It's just at such a low decibel level that you really can't perceive it. White noise is every spectrum, of, uh, every frequency within the sound spectrum. And so it's, it's in this room right now. But when you go out in culture and you've got the white noise of uh, Twitter and instant, and, you know, TikTok and TikTok your way to hell and all that, you know, all that, <laughs> right? And the news and the bad news and the worst news and the social media and the, and the, the minutia and the low-level conversations by people that just gossip and ah, and it's just a plethora of sound until it drowns out the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. See, God's not yelling. He whispers. He could yell and shatter your house and your windows if he wanted to. God could just cruise by your place and go, boom, and it would collapse. But he's not in the fire. He's not in the flood. He's not in the earthquake. He can't, comes in a still, small voice. And when I get low to the ground, I'm actually elevating. When I get alone with him, 
I'm gaining spiritual elevation. Here's another thing you need to do. Get still before God and journal. You know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and we kind of equated more volume with more God. And I don't mind some volume. Let me just get straight. I'll crank it up to 11. I like loud music. I like people dancing and doing backflips if you got that in you. In fact, let's just see what the Lord does here. But for me to get still, but I tell you this, when you get still before the Lord, I got this little spot in my office, got a piece of carpet. I keep my worship cruising. I got a Bible. I open up on the floor and here's what it looks like. I got a Bible. I have a journal. I have this little patch of carpet and I just get low to the ground and I wait before him. Like, God, what do you think? What's on your heart? I was doing this a few weeks back and I keep a guitar close by. Uh, I'm a retired worship leader, by the way. In fact, I saw some people that are here that were a part of the church I was a worship pastor at 30 years ago. I love you. Thanks for being on the second row. And I grab my guitar. I'm just ministering to the Lord. And, in, and you know, a lot of times I worship and pray on my knees or down close to the carpet because I elevate from that place. So I, I have my worship time and I get ready. I'm going to, and I hear the Holy Spirit whisper, just spend a few more minutes. Like I, I felt that. He goes, hey, just come back and spend a few more minutes. Do you know God wants to, longs to, desires to spend more time with you? And when you, when you elevate, when you go to the watchtower, that's where he received a vision that was clear. And then God said, now you can run with this. And there's something that in a geographical term, it's used to describe uh, topographical areas in a mountain range. And there's something known as the snake line. Maybe you've heard about it. But snakes can't survive uh, past a certain elevation. Vegetation changes, it gets sparse. So it's been proven that snakes will die above a certain elevation on mountains. There's a spiritual application. The demons and all the garbage in your life cannot survive when you elevate. We got to climb up, amen? The second one is this, you got to remember and recount. Remember and recount. Habakkuk said, Lord, I've heard, I've heard, listen, I've heard about your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. There was something that happened in the history of Israel. They would pass down their stories from one generation to the next. In fact, that's what Passover was all about. This elaborate week of festival that started out with a meal and each portion of the meal, the unleavened bread and the lamb and the herbs and the four glasses of wine all had a story behind it. And what they were doing is they were perpetuating a story of how once they were in bondage in Egypt, but the Lord came and sent a deliverer, a type of Christ, and he led them across the Red Sea. And they would share this story from generation to generation. See, it's one thing to remember some good things that God has done in your life. It's a whole different level when you actually recount. And recounting is you verbalize what God has done. It says in the book of Revelation that they overcame him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb, the cross, and by the word of their testimony. The testimony means this, an eyewitness. You can't have a testimony about something that didn't happen to you or you did not see. You got to be there on location to have a testimony. And so what we need in our lives is an experience that creates a testimony that you can proclaim because it will cause you to stand in a place of victory and overcoming. This is throughout the word. I'll give you a couple samples. Deuteronomy 4.9. Watch out. Be careful to never forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. 
Psalm 145, generation after generation stands in awe of your work, and each one does what? Tells stories of your mighty acts. We used to sing this ancient hymn. It was written back in the 1700s. It's called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Does anybody, has anybody ever heard that? Come Thou Fount. We have one, two, three, four, and you're all a certain age demographic. I love you. (laughs) No, I'm just messing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a line in there that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy grace I come. What? How many hithers are in your set list? You probably don't sing a lot of hithers. They disappeared. I think we should bring back hither. Hither by thy grace. Here I raise my Ebenezer. We'd have people go, Ebenezer, is that like Ebenezer Scrooge? Are these Christmas carols? Ebenezer was a monument placed alongside a thoroughfare that was a landmarker of a victory that God won for Israel. And when you're cruising down the road in your chariot, you're like, what is that monument? Oh, time out. Let me tell you what God did. That's an Ebenezer. You need these in your life. You know, when the children of Israel, after 40 years crossing the wilderness, one day God said, sanctify yourselves because tomorrow I'll do amazing things. And then he tells Joshua, he says, tell the priest, get the Ark of the Covenant, put it on your shoulders, and step into the flooding Jordan River, the Jordan River at flood stage. It's a massive sweeping river. And when they stepped in the river, the water dried up up north, and then all of a sudden there was dry land, and the whole nation, two million of them, walked across on dry land. They get to the other side, and here's Jericho, the first city there to conquer, and their Canaan land, promised land, they're ready to go. Just saw the power of God. Let's do this. God says, time out, Joshua. I want you to send the leader of every tribe back into the middle of the river, back into the middle of the miracle and pull out a stone. And I want you to to build a monument on on the victory side of the water so that when your children get older, they'll ask you. They'll say, you know, hey, dad, I, I see you at night sometimes and you're standing down by the river. I see you wiping tears from your eyes and you're standing by that pile of rocks. What's up with that? And you can tell them. You can say, son, your mom and I were not always free people. See, I, I was in a, raised in a pastor's home and my dad went through several affairs and divorces and my parents divorced and I was a broken mess. I rebelled against God, left the church and my, my escape route was just drugs and alcohol. It seemed to work for me. So I partied for a decade, and I, I was alcoholic status and drug addict status. And so when Jesus found me in my early 20s, I was a train wreck. I, was, I had nothing to offer God. I just showed up. He delivered me, and I said this, God, I'm just going to keep showing up to church. Now listen, I want to tell that story. Not that I'm glorying in my past, but my testimony, your testimony has power we got to recount the good things, the great things that God has done. Never forget about the early days. And I had that same anxiety 27 years or 26 years ago. I remember the night before church plant day, just sick as could be, thinking, God, what have I done? I thought three people would show up, my wife and my two daughters. I knew they were coming because I was putting them in the car with me. Beyond that, it was a leap of faith. we got to tell the stories of what God has done. He's done so much. 
And I'm an old guy now. I've seen moves of God. I was there at the Jesus Revolution in the early 70s. I sat in the buildings with the hippies, flowers in their hair, and saw the Holy Spirit move on a generation after the summer of love in 1968. And I remember as a young kid seeing the power of God sweep in and impact a generation that has now raised up leaders that lead some of the major ministries and churches across our nation. And I'm saying, God, do it again. I've seen the outpouring in Toronto in 1993, 1994. I've seen winds and waves and revivals. And, but it's not enough to talk about them. But as I recount and recall, it gives me faith to say, wait a minute. If God did it then, he can do it again. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. I believe. Do you believe? Number three, lift a cry for revival. I got more content than time, so let's go. (laughs) He lifts up his voice. He says, God, renew them in our day, in our time. Help us in a season of wrath. Remember mercy. Now, we don't know because it's a written letter, the level of passion and intensity and volume and tears that might have been involved with Habakkuk's cry, but conjecture would cry out that, you know, in light of the Babylonian captivity, in light of the state of the nation, This was a passionate cry. James says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's powerful in its working. And effectual means to have zeal, to be hot and passionate. We're not looking for emotions for emotionalism's sake, but we are looking for some people that got some passion in their spirit that will lift up their voice and cry out and call out, God, do it in our day. You see, Habakkuk at this stage, all they had were scrolls and stories. Read the scroll, tell the story. Read the scroll, tell the story. And scrolls and stories are great, but it's not what the next generation needs. See, I believe every generation must have an authentic move of the Holy Spirit for themselves in order to have an experience because there's a word in the Greek in the New Testament to know God is not, you know, cranium or whatever that is. It's not cerebral. It's not information knowledge. What is it? It's relational. Gnosko. We are to know him by experience and relationship. So he cries out for his... Listen, right now we're talking about, you know, Gen Z is, um, the sociologists say, 26 years uh, and below. Do we have anybody in the room 26 years and under? Wave your hands. Come on, give it up for him. Quite a few. We had one at the 830 service and he won a prize. So good for him. He got out of bed. Expecting great things at the 1130 or the, uh, however many services you guys do. I'm just going to show up and preach until people quit showing up today, and then we're going to go eat food. So we have the Gen Z, and then there's Gen Alpha, which is right now kids, 12 years and below. I have one of my grandsons is 12 years old, and um, he's playing drums. He's a sick drummer, man. Playing drums in the big house, man, 12 years old. Skills. Kids got skills. My other grandson, Ivor, just preached at the, uh, the kids' church, and I saw some footage, and it made me weep because this kid can preach. But here's what I'm praying for the Gen Zers in the room, and even we'll throw in the millennials if you're 40 years and under. We love you. The millennials have had a bad rap, and I just want to <laughs> apologize for all the boomers, right? Because we've been throwing you guys under the bus for months now, years, and it's some good stuff, though. It's great stuff. It's great content, but we love you. But we need to move for this generation. 
We needed people that have their own experience with God. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. How about you? Prophecy is for today. Healing is for today. Gift of faith, words of knowledge, miracles are for today. It's not about a scroll and a story. A lot of times in church, see, I got stories I could tell you all morning long, and they're great, but you need your own story. And that's why he cried out. He said, God, do it in our day. You see, the ministry I'm doing right now, I'm 63 years old. The ministry I'm doing right now is not about me and the boomer generation. It's about my grandkids. It's about a people that are growing up in California that apart from a move of God, the future looks bleak. Now, I'm not Dave the downer. Oh, the sky is falling. We're all going to die. The devil went. That's not me. I believe that God is going to build his church. It's a glorious church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I'll tell you this, it ain't going to happen without a move of the Spirit. Come on. We live in a generation and in a time where we have the best communicators in the world. You can stream a message on your phone, your podcast, your on-demand YouTube, Christian music all over the place, seminars, books, audio books. There's so much content and gospel saturating us. And still, bro, in this city, probably less than 4% of your community attend a life-giving church. That means 95, 96% of the people in this whole region know nothing about God and they're lost without God. And I am not all right with that. I'm not okay with a few Christians cloistered away in their lovely buildings and our seats a couple thousand and we do the multiple services, but we're still barely touching the need. And Jesus said, he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And here's what heaven's going to look like. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every age demographic. And then he said this, I want you to pray. Pray my kingdom come. Pray that the will of the Father be done. Where? On earth. When the kingdom of God comes to Walnut Creek, when the kingdom of God rests on the East Bay, there'll be thousands, tens of thousands of people I see, I, I'm carrying this in my spirit. I'm carrying revival in my spirit. I've been praying this for 26 years in Vacaville, but a decade here in Concord. I used to walk the streets of your city with my guitar, worshiping Toto Santos Park. Did something called a March for Jesus back in the 90s where we walked the streets of Pleasant Hill. I used to pray in the mountains uh, up by Concord Pavilion for a decade, crying out for revival, asking for God to move. Do you think those prayers are obsolete? No, there's a bowl in heaven. The prayers of the saints, the worship of the saints fills these golden bowls before the Lord. And when they reach critical mass, they hit a tipping point and God pours out those bowls, which become moves of his spirit. And I'm just telling you, there have been seeds of revival prayed and planted in your city for many years. And right now in the earth, listen, we are living in a time where God says, okay, it's time. There's a prophet. I'm way off notes. Better bring up a keyboard player. I'll never quit. <laughs> Can we bring up the keyboard player at least? I love you, bro. And this is to give the illusion that I may stop soon. <laughs> Guys, it's all smoke and mirrors here. It's all jazz hands. Watch it. So there's this prophet, and he had a vision of America this last summer, and he shared it with our lead team, and we're in Dallas. 
His name is Jim LaFoon, amazing man of God. But um, he saw America and it was a dust bowl, a wasteland. And then he saw the feet of Jesus walking across this wasteland. And he had dust and stuff on his feet. And he said it was very desperate. He felt very desperate in his spirit. And Jesus began to cry out for America. And he said, Father, do it again. Father, do it again. And he said the prayer continued. In the vision, Jesus was desperate. You see, it's accurate that he sits at the right hand of the Father doing what? Making intercession for you and me. Jesus communicates the cry and the desire of his church. And so he's crying out saying, God, do it again, do it again, do it again. He said, then the father whispered because he was crying out for revival. And the Lord spoke back. He said, one more time, one more time. This was uh, in August of this last year. He said, even right now, drops of revival are falling and there'll be more and more until there's a mighty river of a move of God in America. What we've seen since September until February right now is these drops are beginning to manifest. We're seeing it in our church. We're seeing it um, in Asbury University. We're seeing it around the nation. And I'm not here to hype you. I'm not a hype guy. But I'm here to tell you something. God has called this church to be more than just a weekend experience for an hour and 15 minutes. God has called your church to be more than just a good, solid, theological, watch the kids, train the young people, get some Bible, come back two weeks later. God has called you to be an epicenter of a move of His Spirit. I, I, I know that in my heart. But, it, but it's not about Pastor Tyler and Rachel. I mean, she's singing the lips off this place. I mean, just amazing. You are, you're probably preaching amazing. I've heard some of his messages. Let me tell you something. He may not preach much better than he is right now. You could be peeking. Who knows? I don't know. At the tenure, you'll be like, man, he was good back in 23. Remember that? He was so good. What I'm saying, it's not about your best worship leading or your best preaching or what comes from the stage. It's about a body of Christ. It's about a people that say, God, do it in our day and use me. And I had more points. They were really good. Your life was going to be changed forever, but I just don't. No, I'll give you one more. You got to position your heart. Look at this. Position your heart. As we close, I want to minister this to you. Habakkuk didn't know how it was all going to play out. They were positioned for captivity. It looks like they were going to go in. They paid, you know, they'd done the sin. They were going to do the time. So he says this. He says, Lord, here's how I'm going to position my heart. Though the fig tree fails to blossom, though there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and there's no food in the fields, though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my shield. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and I will stand upon the heights. What was he doing? He's saying, either way this goes, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to cry out, and I'm going to rejoice because the results are out of my hands. But then the Lord says, hey, 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 Habakkuk, though the vision tarries, wait for it, for it will surely come to pass. Let me just say, over every promise that God has given you, It's from Him. It will surely come to pass. But here's where we get tripped up. The greatest test in your life is unanswered prayer. It's the delay between the prophecy and the fulfillment. 
between the vision and the fruition, there's a gap of delay. And some of you feel disqualified because you're looking at your sin resume or you quit church for a while or you quit believing, you didn't study enough, you missed the fast, the list is long. And so we condemn ourselves self-loathing in the spirit. And we go, I'm disqualified for that. You know the only thing that can disqualify you from God's high call in your life? Quitting. That's it. If you'll stay in the fight, he will be faithful. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's who he is. If delay disqualified, Abraham and Sarah would have never held the son of laughter. If delay disqualified, Apostle Paul would have never planted a church. If delayed, disqualified, Joseph would have never got out of the prison and become the second leader in Egypt and saved Israel. On and on it goes. Your delay, your unanswered prayer, even your self-disqualification does not disqualify you. When you come back to him and say, God, use me to my full potential. He never says, are you kidding me? Have you seen your sin resume? Let me show you how many Sundays you missed last year. And let's look at your giving record. He doesn't do that. Pastors do that. (laughs) It's a pastor joke. Relax. You know what he does? He says, welcome home. Now, Now let's get busy on that call that's in your life. And every word of God that he's spoken over your life, he will be faithful to fulfill it. Amen. Hey, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you today. And even as we bow our heads, just want to honor the Holy Spirit in these moments. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor Dave, I've been disillusioned and delayed. In fact, I feel like I've let go of some of the hopes and the dreams. I know for a fact that in this moment, God is stirring up vision, dream, calling. There, it's like he's fanning some embers in people's hearts that almost went out. And the Holy Spirit is saying right now, I'm not done with you. I'm still going to use you. He's calling you back to a place of fruitfulness. So if you've been disillusioned, if you've kind of let go of the hope and the call and that thing that was in your heart, some of you had some prophetic words that didn't come to pass, and and they're in a closet somewhere, you forgot about them, the Lord says, I'm still holding true to my word. And if you will stand upon it and declare it, I will fulfill it. So today, in Jesus' name, we break off disillusionment. Father, I pray you come and wipe away discouragement. Our final moments together, if you're here, you'd say, Pastor Dave, I came into this room, but really I'm away from God today. I'd have to say I'm not walking with Jesus, not right with Jesus, and I got stuff in my life. I got sin in my life. I need forgiveness, and today I want to come home. I want to give everything. It's a holy moment right now, but if that's you and you're saying that's me, I'm coming home, heads bowed, just honoring the Lord, but for you, would you just look up and wave at me, say, today is my day, the Holy Spirit's calling me back here, over here, just wave a little bit, it's kind of dark back here, right here, bro, God bless you, in fact, young man, I saw the Holy Spirit moving on you earlier, God's got a call on your life, anybody else, Father, we just thank you right here, bro, God bless you, man, this is real, it's a real call from a real father, and he says today, he's not angry at you. He's in love with you. There's a place for you in his house today. I'd like everybody to make this bold declaration. Thanks, son. Many people lifted their hand, but all of us together, every believer in the room, Romans 10, 9, 10 says, if you believe and confess, 
believe and confess. So would you repeat this after me real, real loud and proud? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, today's my day. I'm coming home. I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive my sin and make me your own. Make me your disciple. And by your grace, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's thank the Lord for some changed lives today. Love you guys. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.